Good evening to all. So I was asked to introduce the speaker tonight, but before I go there, I just wanted to give the whole congregation some good news. And I was told that Herb and Sybil are not here tonight, and that's because their great-granddaughter Lexi is being baptized tonight at the camp. You know, it's a family that has always been true to the word, always taught their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I cannot even say that thing. You know, I'm still to the children. And I don't think I'll get where Herb is, but it's okay. So uh, this, is, this is our third week of our summer nights. And we have had a great experience having other people, other preachers from other congregations to come and speak to us, other students of the world that want to share their thoughts with us about the, whatever we're studying. And it has been wonderful. I think I like this summer series, how we've called them. Uh, our speaker tonight is Larry Klein. Larry is the preaching minister for the Hardin Valley Church and a native of Hope Hall, growing up in that community just south of Montgomery, Alabama, and just like me. <laughs> what is Alabama? Yes. <laughs> He, he attended the University of Florida where he played football for the Gators and received his bachelor's degree. He began working in ministry in June of 1976 when he was hired while still in school to work as youth minister and develop a campus ministry at the University City Congregation where he worshipped. That sparked an undying love for ministry in him and he later earned his master's degree in ministry from Southern Christian University. Larry met his best friend, Linda, while attending University of Florida, and they married June 10, 1977. They have five children, four wonderful daughter-in-laws, and one tolerable son-in-law, <laughs> and 14 precious grandchildren so far. Larry loves people and is passionate about ministering to people of all ages and life situations. Some other loves are taking people, some other loves of him are taking people to places that build their faith, hunting, fishing, gardening, and grilling just about anything. His passions include preaching, discipleship, missions, being involved with ministries of reconciliations, and being with grandkids. And it is a privilege to have you tonight here, Larry. So I'll leave it to you. Preach the word, brother. That is way more than you needed to know about Larry Klein. <laughs> way more. That tolerable son-in-law, that's right. He took my girl. He's tolerable. He's a good guy. It's great to be with you tonight. Bring you greetings from Hardin Valley. Um, it has been a fantastic day. Um, I love ministry. That wasn't a joke, what was said. I think I've got the greatest job in the whole world, getting to meet with people and encourage people and point people toward Jesus all day. And today's been a day full of that. Just left. My sleeves are still a little wet because I got to baptize a new sister into Christ, Alicia Seda. Um, hmm. I can get emotional about it because it's not often that you run across hearts that are just open and so hungering for God, and if God says it, they want to do it. 
just like that. And Alicia was one of those. And, oh, God, bring me 100,000 more. <laughs> um, it's just fantastic. And um, so, and then get to come, and it's the first time that I've been able to be with you. I've driven by the building. I've even pulled in and sat in the parking lot before. But I'm a little tied up at times when you're meeting here. And so I haven't gotten to, to meet many of you in the past, and it's an honor and a privilege to be with you and to have my best friend with me, my, um, my lovely and wonderful wife, Linda. I hope you get a chance to meet her tonight. A couple of things that I'm, I had at the end, and then I thought, hey, silly, they told you to offer an invitation. So I moved them to the front, and it seems a little inappropriate, but um, we do love taking trips to the Holy Land. We love it. We love to go see the Holy Land. But I will tell you, that's ended up not being the main reason that we like to go to the Holy Land, because when people go, it so opens up their minds and their hearts and increases their faith as they get to walk um, in places where they know that their Savior walked, and everything comes together. You realize that the area around Galilee, it's not that big, and, and you you're able to put stories together like you've never been able to do before, and it's just fantastic. So I don't know if you are, are where you, that you can, but um, just wanted you to know we're going to lead another trip next March 29th through April 7th. I have information if you want it. Um, that, enough of that. I do want you to know about something that's coming up that I've been involved in for a lot of years, a whole lot of years. It was known as the Spiritual Growth Workshop years ago. That might ring a bell with you, but we changed the name. I've been directing it now for quite a while, um, but we changed the name to Equip. It's in Orlando, Florida, and it does just that, I promise you. It equips Christians for works of ministry, um, and we have like 90 different classes to, that go on. If you know Polishing the Pulpit, it's along the lines of Polishing the Pulpit, but it is totally focused on equipping, 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 equipping. We've got something for all ages. I mean, our daughter, one of our daughter-in-laws runs the children's program, and it is like the best vacation Bible school you've ever been to in your life. They have a teen program that goes on, and then we have something for all ages and all, all walks of ministry. So um, you can go to equiporlando.org. Um, that's not on this slide, as a matter of fact, but if you just do a search for Equip Conference in Orlando, Florida, it will come up. So tonight we're going to be talking about the peace of Christ out of Colossians, um, and I'm also tying it, and at one point I had it on the slide, both the Colossians scripture and the Mark scripture, but I'm not good at saving stuff when I do it, and it disappears. So um, I, I want us to have a prayer before we get into this, and I appreciate the prayers already, but I always feel like I need a, to, to pray myself, so if you would. God, I pray your blessings on me as I deliver. I pray you'd I pray your blessings on me as I seek to receive, and I pray, God, your blessings on all of us, that we would have ears that hear and hearts that seek, that yearn to be more of what you have us to be. Um, God, we pray that we'll understand and that we'll become. We pray it in Jesus' name, and amen. So here's our scripture out of Colossians 3.15. I'd appreciate it if you would read it with me, okay? So let's do that. Therefore, considers the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality. That's not the verse. I did not check up on my, um, on my uh, secretary, and she is very good at that. Um, I might have 
because it's supposed to be, let's see. What a way to start a lesson, huh? Colossians 3.15, you know, you probably can quote it with me. I'm not sure what Bible she was looking at. But let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. And as I read that and have thought about it lately, isn't it? It's almost redundant, isn't it? That it gets to the end of the scripture and it says, um, you were called to peace and be thankful. That if you've ever been in turmoil, if you've ever been at a point where peace was at a premium, where it was hard, you know what I'm talking about? Those times where in the middle of the night, you've been awakened and you sit up and you almost gasp for air where you're trying, you know you should have peace, but you're trying your best to find it, that you would give anything for it. And that if you could get it, without a shadow of a doubt, you would be thankful. It's like a lot of other blessings in our life, isn't it? That when we have them, we have a tendency to take them for granted. And so tonight, we talk about peace, we talk about how to get it, <laughs> and um, there, we know what peace is. Little children, they can go to sleep anywhere, can't they? We talk about now, it's a whole, we had five kids. Only one of our kids slept, slept through the night at all for the first year. And so now when anybody says to us, oh, they sleep like a baby, we think, you poor thing, you were up all night five or six times. Because we didn't even know what that meant. It changed the definition altogether. But our kids, they can go to sleep just about anywhere. I mean, they, they can pass out over and over. That's, that's one of my favorites right there. And then uh, it just reeks of peace. Somebody said the fellow who can sleep like a baby doesn't have one. You know, and I think there's, there's probably a lot of truth in that. We spend thousands and thousands of dollars on mattresses, um, sleep aids, and et cetera, trying to get a, a good night's sleep, trying to find some peace. But here's the sad thing when we don't have peace, is that our lesson today teaches us how not to toss and turn even when our world does, because our world is going to toss and turn. I, I, I don't have my amen corner here tonight, but amen? I mean, our world is going to toss and turn. It is just inevitable. I don't care if you are at a peaceful time in your life right now. I'm not talking about peace with God. I'm not talking about having the peace of Christ. I'm talking about a lack of turmoil in your life. If you're at that place right now, you know just hold on, right? Because turmoil is coming. Because we live in a broken world, and it's just the way it happens. I don't want to bring up things, and I don't need to bring up things for you. You already know what I'm talking about. But it wasn't long ago that one of my best friends, Mickey Moss, would come in every Sunday morning. He would come into my office when I had been praying and preparing. He'd come in, he'd go, preach the word, preach man. And he would always have, I wear glasses, and so he would always have a wipe, and he'd be, he'd be um, cleaning his glasses, and Mickey was a kind of a jokester anyway. And he would go, here. He said, I want my preacher to be able to see straight and be focused when he's preaching. And so I would take it, and I would do my glasses, and I would give it back to him, and Mickey was nobody. There wasn't anybody that knew Mickey that didn't love Mickey. 
And then Mickey started having some times when he had low energy and started having some stomach pains. And it wasn't but just a month or so later that we were burying Mickey. We live in a broken world. Ah, it is a sad, broken world because of sin. But that doesn't mean that we can't have hope. It doesn't mean that we don't have hope. And it doesn't mean that we can't have peace. In fact, it's in Philippians 4. It's not our verse out of Colossians. But in Philippians 4, Paul writes about peace, right? And he says, don't worry, flat out. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, here's what you do. By prayer and supplication with, what's that word? What does he say? With thanksgiving. You always have a thankful heart, no matter what's going on in your life, because God's working in the midst of it. So don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, take that burden, take those things, and lay them at the foot of Jesus. And he says, when you do that, then, you will blow the world's mind. Because the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Our problem too often is that it's not our mattress that's lumpy, it's our conscience that's the problem. Isn't that right? Way too often with us. It's hard to get rest until you have peace. And so we're going to come out of Mark chapter 4, because I know our text is out of Colossians, but Jesus does a lot to teach us how to have peace. We get that peace from him. So it starts off in, in um, Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, and it says this, On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go, let us go on to the over to the other side. On that day, what day? That day in context, everything is in context. Man, I just got through with that Bible study, talking about context, 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 if you're going to understand God's word. On to that day. On a day when Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, it's all been about the kingdom, um, how to participate in the kingdom. There's several phrases to note as we start to deal with this text. He says, go over to the other side. It has been a long, long day of teaching. How many of you are teachers and preachers? Raise your hand. No teachers? Just a few teachers? If you're not a teacher or a preacher, let me just tell you that teaching is one of the most exhausting things that you can do, period. It's not just standing in front of people. It's not just standing up for the time. It is emotionally exhausting. It, is, it can be spiritually exhausting, but it's physically exhausting too. More so than just about anything I know. When I'm through, when I first started preaching, I would tell Linda, and, and I had a mentor that told me this, be ready for this, but when I was through preaching on Sunday morning, oftentimes I felt like I had the flu. You know what I'm talking I felt like there were body aches, like I was just worn to a frazzle, like I needed to go lay down for a while. And Jesus has been teaching all day about the kingdom and Scripture says, he says to his disciples, let's go to the other side. It, it could be one of the few times that he's able to get away from the crowd and the stresses of the crowd. 
He gets in a boat in order to have some peace. And so the story goes as they head out across the Sea of Galilee, and as we'll read it here in just a minute, there's a storm that comes up. And what becomes obvious, it seems, if you look at it closely, is that Jesus goes to sleep in the middle of the storm. Oh, he's tired, but there's way more to it than that. He gets in the boat and he settles down for some rest. Like I said, he's been preaching and teaching, and you see the humanity of Jesus. So, we ask the question, as the storm comes, why do storms come in our life? In the midst of this broken world, why do storms come our way? Sometimes we might think it's like Jonah. Jonah, storms come because you disobey. And that's true, isn't it? Hey, right here with my eyes. That's true, isn't it? And that you shake your head this way. You go, that's absolutely true. Because when I disobey at times, God will discipline me. When I disobey, I'm going against God's principles sometimes. And just the repercussion of that in and of itself, God has said, this is true. If you do this, this will happen. I do it. And guess what? That happens. (laughs) And, and, And it makes for a rocky, rocky storm in my life. But it's not always that way. Because here, with Jonah, we know it was because of his disobedience. But here it says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. So why are they in the boat? Who told them to get in the boat? Jesus did. So Jesus says, let's get in the boat, let's go to the other side, and they go right into a storm. Now, if you go to the Holy Land, if you've ever been before, if you go to the Holy Land, you're going to see that on one side of the Sea of Galilee, there are some steep, some steep hills, and, cre- and there are crevices that are there, and the wind will whip down through those. The last time that we went, we're out on the Sea of Galilee in a boat. It's incredible. It's beautiful. It's blue sky. It's glass. And by the time we got off, it was almost white capping. I mean, the storm had come that quickly as wind whipped down through those crevices and came across the Sea of Galilee. You think, well, that was a bad trip. No, that was a great trip because you got to see how it happened, (laughs) how it could happen in Scripture. This seems to have been much worse than that. These fishermen, they were too smart. They had grown up fishing, so they were too smart to have gone out into a storm. It evidently was okay as they started going, but the storm came up in a hurry. And for these veterans to think that they're in danger of their life, man, it must have been some kind of doozy. It's a hard storm to understand, though, because they've done exactly what Jesus told them to do. We struggle with that, don't we? Here I am right in the midst. I think about that with the Apostle Paul a lot, don't you? You read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul goes, let me tell you what I've been through. I've been beaten with rods over and over again. I've been scourged. I've been stoned and left for dead. I've been shipwrecked. I've been without clothes before. I've been without food. I've been a night and a day in the deep. And it was all because I disobeyed God. No, wrong version, right? He was smack dab in the middle of doing the work of God, but yet went through all of that. I need to change the way I think, don't I? 
don't we? That if we obey God, that it's roses. That everything in life is just going to be wonderful. Oh, there are preachers that preach that. There's people that believe that. But they're in for a rude awakening because that's just not the reality of what God tells us or what we face. That's why this lesson is important. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let you live in such a way that the peace that you have won't make any sense to the world. What is it that's different? What is it that's special about you that in the midst of what you're going through, we know what that would feel like because we've been there. You have that trust and that peace? Maybe. Let's see. Word to the wise. Always check your PowerPoint when your secretary is through with it. Okay? Always. Always. So, um, here's what Scripture says in verse 6. But here's the point. Maybe following Jesus doesn't always ensure that it's going to be a sunny day. Amen? Maybe. Not maybe. Really. Verse 6. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And they were also, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it, so that it nearly, nearly swamped. Maybe following Jesus doesn't always mean that you're going to have smooth sailing. So they say, second phrase we look at, is they say to him something that you and I probably would have said. But it tells on them a lot. They say, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Does that sound familiar? You ever said anything like that to God? When you read the Psalms, David sounds that way at times, doesn't he? Oh God, where are you? Don't you realize that the enemies are at the gate? Don't you realize everything that I'm going through? God, don't you care? I believe in transparency. I don't think God says, don't ever question. I don't think that at all. But we need to learn something from what goes on here. Note the implications. They aren't accusing Jesus of ignorance about the storm, but indifference to it. In fact, it implies heavily that Jesus did get out into the boat because they don't wake him up and say, hey, Jesus, there's a storm that you didn't know about. They believe that he knew about the storm and that he went to sleep in the middle of the storm, which tells you an awesome amount about our Jesus and about his relationship with his father and his relationship with creation. He goes to sleep and gets some rest while the world around him is just raging in a storm. And so they wake him up and they uh, accuse him of indifference to it. So it is amazing, though, that not only could he still the storm, because he gets up and he talks to the storm like you would talk to rowdy children. Hush, you be quiet. And creation obeys. I love the Gospel of Mark. I love the Gospels. But I love the Gospel of Mark because all the way through it, not all the way, but the first, the first eight chapters of it, you've got Jesus showing his dominance over all creation. Man, is there a little girl who's died? Jairus' daughter? Well, of course there is. Talitha Kum. And she gets up. What? 
There is a storm that is raging and about to sink the boat. Be quiet, hush, and it becomes like glass. There is a man who's possessed by demons to the point where he says, my name is Legion because we are many. And the man has been in distress to the point where he's taken rocks and he's cut himself all over. They can't bind him anymore. He's got superhuman strength. And all night long down in the village, they hear him up in the tombs in the caves just screaming in agony. Can you imagine that during the night? And how he might be a bother, but other times you so grieve for him because he used to live among you. He's somebody's father. He was somebody's husband. That was somebody's son that's been possessed by the evil one now. And Jesus leaves him clothed and in his right mind by just telling them, leave, go. And when he tells them to go, it doesn't matter how many of them there are, they have to go because he's Jesus. He's the son of God. And you go on and on and wherever you turn, what, there's hungry people and we don't have anything to feed them with? What, five loaves and two fish and 12 basketfuls afterwards. Are you kidding me? And all along he's saying, what does that say about me? And Mark is trying to get people to answer the question, who is this man? Because that question is asked over and over and over again. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? What teaching is this? And how did he get this authority? Who is this guy that healed a man with a withered hand in Capernaum? And you go on and on. The question, who is this guy? To the point where you got to say to Jesus, you got to say to God, as you and I are reading this in our environment, okay, God, I get it. If they couldn't understand it, sitting in the boat, if they didn't get it, if they didn't get it in the bedroom with Jairus' daughter when she was raised, Scripture says they didn't understand. And he starts talking to them, and he goes, you are acting like those on the outside, and you're supposed to be on the inside. That you're seeing me just as a miracle worker, not as God Almighty in the flesh. Because the next time they come across a crowd, right, the second feeding in in Mark chapter 8, Jesus goes, okay, I have compassion on them. They've been out here for days and we need to feed them. Guys, feed them. They were just there. They just took a basket home to their kids and had to explain where it came from. And they still turn their pockets inside out and they go, Jesus, we got nothing. We got nothing. They're still looking with these eyes rather than through eyes of faith and guilty guilty because what jesus says if you're gonna have a life of peace it's got to be a life of faith it's got to be a life of trust it's got to be a life that's filled with power you've got to see me for who i am and you've got to follow me that was the call from the very start wasn't it back at the beginning jesus says to the disciples come follow me get in lockstep with me and i will make something of you it, you will not be the same you will not be the same and so he tells them in mark chapter 8 he says you beware you beware of something it will steal your peace it will steal your joy it will take away your faith you beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod, which is unbelief. 
you be aware of that fear of, of, of that of that leaven because it will get in you and you will see me as a miracle worker but will not believe that I can do things in your life extrapolate is what he's trying to get them to see if I could if I could steal the storm if I could raise the dead if, if I could cast out the demons then you don't think I can feed 5,000 people hey church hey Larry if I can raise the dead, if I can feed the 5,000, if I can cast out the demons, you don't think that I can take care of your problem? You don't think that you can walk in power and confidence? You don't think that you can have peace? Are you on the inside or are you on the outside? Choose. That's what Jesus says. It's a Joshua sermon. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Because every, everybody, the Jesus that you see, and that's what he keeps seeing, saying, you need to see me clearly. The Jesus you see has everything to do with the Jesus you follow. If you see him as nothing more than a miracle worker, then you follow the cosmic bellhop. Oh, Jesus, could I please have an answer to this prayer? And then you're disappointed when you don't get the answer. Because he's nothing more than a cosmic bellhop. And there's no peace in that whatsoever. And so from chapter 8 on in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, it says that Jesus from that point forward put his nose toward Jerusalem. And he's going to the cross. And you see not just the serving Jesus, you see the self-sacrificing Jesus. You see the Jesus who calls you to take up your cross daily and follow him to actually die to yourself and your will and your priorities and your schedule and to put his first and the people around you first. And he says, now you see clearly, you'll never understand me as Messiah until you understand the cross and what it means to die. And that's the struggle here even in Mark chapter 4. The boat's tossing and turning, but Jesus isn't because he is the master of creation. That's the God we serve, the one who speaks. And when he speaks, everything has to obey. I'll tell you what, him going to sleep in the boat, it was way more than him just having taught all day. It was way more than just him being tired. In the Old Testament, sleep is talked about as being a gift from God because of the trust and because of the faith that you have in Him, because God gives the peace. And so in Psalm 4.8, it says, In peace, how about read this with me, would you? In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Good stuff, huh? In Proverbs, speaking of Wisdom and understanding, the wise man writes as a father, and he gives advice to his son saying this. And I know that I didn't know the screen was going to be small, so you might just have to listen. But he says, my son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion so that they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep 
will be what? Sweet. Your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught, he says. Your sleep will be sweet. There's people that would give their fortune for that. You want sweet sleep? You want sweet sleep? Then God says, put your confidence in the Lord. If I put my confidence in myself, I've got no reason to have sweet sleep. I know me. I know my lack of ability. I know there's things that I can't do anything about. But when I see Jesus clearly, when I understand that when he wants something done, it gets done beyond the shadow of a doubt. If that's the Jesus I serve, then my sleep can be sweet. The disciples, they don't see Jesus' sleep in that light at all. They see it as a lack of concern. And You ever been there? I asked you that question before. The psalmist did. I have before. I will tell you, God, don't you care that I'm going through this? Don't you care that I'm up all night worrying about this and, and I need an answer? God, please, please, don't you care? Here's the deal, though. That is an absolutely dangerous attitude, isn't it? To ask God, don't you care? He said, but you said we could be transparent and we could ask questions. Yeah, but we need to be wise at the same time. Because we can act as if God's relief and deliverance are a matter of debt and not of grace. I'm going to let that sink in for just a minute. Read that one more time with me. We can act as if God's relief and deliverance are a matter of debt and not grace. God, I'm following you, and therefore you owe me. I am your child. My God will always, my God will never. We try to fashion God in our image, in the image that we want God to be in, rather than going and following the God that is revealed to us in Scripture. That is the God that is powerful. That is the God that is true. That is the God that I need to see clearly and follow. So he stands up. They get his attention with that thought. And so he woke up and he stands up and he says, quiet, be still. But here's the question. What in this story seemed to bring them the most fear? To begin with, they think they're about to perish. They think they're about to die because of the storm. But when Jesus stands up and he goes, hush, be still, and it goes, and it is just calm as it can be. The Bible says they are terrified. They are terrified. Why? I said it before, but I said it in a different way. That your Christology, the way you look at Jesus, has everything to do with the way you interpret the story. It has everything to do with the way you find peace. It has everything to do with how you follow Jesus. Here's Paul's Christology. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. Say that with me. All things were created by Him and for Him. One more time. All things were created by Him and for Him. That is the church's Christology. That's who Jesus is. All things were created by Him and for Him. When we have that in perspective, now we're ready to follow. Now we know how to have peace. 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Hmm. He speaks, and creation obeys. Jesus seemed more displeased, and this happens several times in the book of Mark, He seems more displeased with his disciples than with the storm, though he rebuked both. He seems more displeased at times with his disciples than what he does with those that haven't come to faith in him at all because they should have on the eyeglasses that allow them to see. I do this a lot, and you would understand why if you were on this side of my eyes because you might take yours off and go, oh, things are a little out of focus. I take my glasses off, and you go, I mean, there's like, this is a huge crowd at this point. (laughs) I mean, everything goes haywire. And without the Word of God, it reminds me, without the Word of God, everything goes haywire. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my way. I don't know how to walk without the Word of God. I don't know how to follow God unless I see the God of the Bible. And I have to put on spiritual eyeglasses. There we go in order for things to come into focus, in order for me to see the way that I should follow Jesus. And so he rebukes them because they are not seeing clearly. They're not looking through spiritual eyeglasses. The wind and the waves, that didn't swamp the disciples. Fear did. Fear did. Really, reasons for them not to have been afraid in the boat. You go, there's a storm, Larry. It was a storm. And they're They're sailors. They're fishermen. They knew this was bad. But here's the reasons, right? Jesus had said, come on, let's go to the other side. So guess where they're going? They're going down. Nothing's going to happen. Jesus said, we're going to the other side, and you're going to the other side. No doubt. Secondly, his presence was with them. Can you imagine a boat sinking? With Jesus on it? Makes no sense whatsoever. And thirdly, his own calmness in the midst of the storm. If he wasn't, if he wasn't upset or worried, there's no sense for you to be upset or worried. Can you imagine? There's no way that it sinks with the Son of God there. That gets to the heart of the problem. The heart of the problem is it's not courage, it's not seamanship. They weren't wimps or crybabies. He says, do you still have, what's the last two words? What? What? I mean, if you were them, wouldn't you go, what? We have have a little bit of faith, right? We have a, Jesus. He says, do you still have no faith? Because when you get to situations that you don't know what to do, you don't count on me. You don't trust me. 
You trust in your own power, in your own might, in your own understanding, and you lose it all. You lose your peace. You lose your power. So there's two little words, huge conviction. Do you still have no faith? Man. So you don't really know what's, what a person thinks about Jesus until a storm comes. You don't really know what you think about Jesus until you get in the middle of a storm. My amen corner, could I get an amen on that? Amen. That's absolutely right. And that's why God says, why James says, you count it all, ooh, what's that word? Joy. You count it all joy when trials come your way because the testing of your faith lets you see when the storm comes, you get to see what you think about God. You get to see what you think about Jesus. You get to understand some things about your faith. And as you go through those difficult times, they help you to grow and mature and endure and become what God wants you to be. Things to remember when storms come. Number one, open your ears. It's not a coincidence that the storm comes on this day. It's a day when Jesus had spoken from morning until evening about how important it is to really hear if you're going to be fit for the kingdom of God. And he doesn't mean he who has ears to hear. Here they are. Little flappy things on the side of my head. I got ears, Jesus. That's not what he's saying. If you have a heart that will understand, man, let him understand. If you've got a heart that's open to the Word of God, take it all in. Open your ears if you're going to survive the storm. The storm's the last part of the day's curriculum. Here's what I found out when I was 12 years old and I became a Christian. I don't know if you've found this out too. I kind of think you probably did. When I became a Christian, I prayed about stuff in the morning. I prayed about stuff at night, prayed all during the day. But in the morning, I would pray. And I was very conscious of sins. I was very conscious of ways that I need to grow. God, help me to be more patient. Help me to, I had a temper like crazy. God, help me to deal with my temper. And you know what I got a chance to do at the end of the day? is say, God, thank you for all the opportunities that you brought me that day to test me on what I prayed about. I saw that so clearly. It didn't make any difference what I prayed about. He was going to give me an opportunity to practice, to see if we couldn't work together to get better on that. And so at the end of the day, when I'm saying my prayer, I know what it means. I'm not just singing the song and he walks with me, and he talks with me. No, no. To that 12-year-old boy and to this 67-year-old guy, that's the real deal. Ah, hmm. That the God of the universe would care enough to walk with me and to be involved in my life like that, to answer prayers, to interact. It's crazy. What a blessing. The storm's the last part of the day's curriculum for them because he's been teaching them. It's a pop quiz, and they flunk. You ever flunked? 
I have flunked a bunch. Jesus will always, I want you to read this with me. We're going to read it twice. Jesus will always actualize in life what you intellectualize in the classroom. You open the scripture in the morning and you read and you have your quiet time. Guess what? Let's read again. Jesus will always actualize in life what you intellectualize in the classroom. Always. Always. John 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying. One of the last prayers, right? We call it the high priestly prayer when he prays for unity of those that will come after him. But he starts off and he says, now this is eternal life. He's talking to his father. Now this is eternal life that they may know you. The word is gnosko. It's a Greek word which means to experience. It does. It's exactly what it means. Now this is eternal life that they may experience you, God, Father, that they, and Jesus Christ, your son. God wants a relationship. He wants us to experience, not just intellectualize, but he will actualize it, live it with him. Hmm. Secondly, not only open your ears, guard your life. Guard your life. We've got to be careful that in the midst of a storm, we don't speak in ways that are unworthy of him. I mean, it ought, to, it ought to take our breath away at times when we were to say, well, what, don't you care? What, and now I've said stuff, I said stuff to my mom, I said stuff to my dad at times that afterwards I thought, why in the world did I say that? I didn't mean that. I've said stuff of my God that I, afterwards I go, I am so sorry. I didn't mean that. It was at a point of desperation and I was not thinking. I was not walking in faith or trust. I wasn't. I just wasn't. When they said, Jesus, they knew he cared. They knew he cared. But sometimes life is overwhelming, isn't it? It can overwhelm our weak faith, our lack of trust, as we try to walk more closely. Hmm. We've got to be careful that we won't say things that are unworthy of him. And then thirdly, focus your eyes. Focus. We used to talk about when I was coaching baseball with my kids, we would talk about, and if you've ever played baseball or done any sports, you, you know what I'm talking about, a hard focus that right now I'm looking out here and I see a broad focus. This is not a hard focus at all. With peripheral vision, I can see everybody that's here. If somebody moved over here, I could see it and all that. In baseball, that's never going to do. If you're going to hit a ball, if you're going to throw a strike, you got a hard focus. And so you would teach them, okay, what you do, look at that backboard. Now, what do you see? And you could describe the backboard. That's not a hard focus. Okay, now I want you to look at the rim. And, and I want you to give me a hard focus. Tell me about the rim. And they could tell me the little hooks that were there. Okay, I want you to count five hooks over from the left. And I want you to hard focus on that. Tell me about it. And they would tell you about it. I said, now, what, what do you see? And they would talk about I, all I see is that one hook with the net on it right there. Whatever. We could have done it with the scoreboard. But it's focus. And what God calls us to do in the midst of a busy, busy day that is so chaotic to get away from a broad focus and to have a hard focus on Jesus in every situation. What is it that my Lord would have me to do? Because that's what I professed. I do not just sing the song, Jesus is Lord. When it comes time to write a check, when it comes time to make a decision, when it comes time to go on vacation, when it comes time to invite somebody over to my house or to go over to their house or when it comes to play tennis or whatever, I'm asking my Lord because he is my master. What is it you would have me to do? 
How can I use this situation? Do you want me involved in this situation? And if so, how can I use it to your honor and to your glory? And it sounds absurd to the word, but it, to the world, but it is right on target for the disciple of Jesus Christ. And it is a way to live a life of confidence and power and peace. Make sure you keep focused on the one who really matters. This was the favorite story, I'm told, scholars say, of the first century church. Mark writes to the church in Rome, and that church was making life or death decisions every day. They would get together like this, and the next time they got together, there would be people that wouldn't be there because they had been martyred, they had been killed. And so it meant everything to them, everything to them to have the focus that they needed to have. I know my time's up. I don't know how much up, but I know it's up. So we're going to stop right there. (laughs) My prayer is tonight that you've been encouraged to have laser focus on one thing and one thing only, and that's a precious Son of God, Jesus. Man. Again, I'm into, I love singing songs. But we sing the song, sing it with me, okay, just a little bit. My only hope is you, Jesus. My only hope is you. From early in the morning till late at night, my only hope is you. I pray that's your heart. If it is, and you're a disciple, God bless you. Keep on keeping on. If it is, and you're a disciple, but you've never named the name of Jesus, you've never repented of your sins to confess Him as Lord and been baptized to follow Him closely, then man, my prayer is you'll do that tonight, that you'll have the kind of heart that obeys quickly, passionately, that will trust your Savior so that you can have the peace of Christ rule in your life. We're going to stand to sing to encourage you. If you have need, you come while we sing.